NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Welcome all to this special production of the National Writing Project. We are really excited about this feature series of NWP Radio called The Story of the Poem, where I have the chance to talk to poets about being a poet, the story behind a poem, and a craft feature of that poem. Each episode will end with an opportunity to give it a go. In other words, an invitation to craft a poem or a few lines or use a technique that the poet has highlighted. We hope these writing invitations will spur you to start or keep on writing after the episode or give you something new to try in your classroom. I'm Tanya Baker, the Director of National Programs at the National Writing Project. And for each episode, I'll have the honor and the pleasure of welcoming our guests and listeners and viewers to spend a few minutes diving deep into poetry. I'm especially excited to introduce you to Heather Hummel who uh, used to be my colleague and friend. Heather is a writer, a teacher and editor. She's an assistant professor of creative writing at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock and one of the founding editors of Blood Orange Review, a literary journal that is now an integral part of the editing and publishing program at Washington State University. With Stephanie Lennox, she co-wrote Short Form Creative Writing, A Writer's Guide and Anthology, a textbook that was featured on Poets and Writers' Best Books for Writers. Her poems often study the boundarylessness of the human body and how it exists at the nexus of history, place, and individual experience. Her creative process integrates cross-disciplinary arts, experimentation, and play. She paints, takes photographs, and tinkers with carpentry as ways to think with her hands and to meditate. That work turns into poems. Her poems have appeared widely in journals and anthologies, including Terrain.org, Hudson Review, Museum of Americana, Booth, and Iron Horse Review. Her poems have been finalists for the Terrain.org Poetry Prize and nominated for the Pushcart Prize and the Best of the Net. She has received a grant from the Arkansas Arts Council and an Emerging Writers in Residence grant from the Catherine Susanna Pritchard Council and an Emerging Writer in Residence grant from the Catherine Susanna Pritchard Writers Center in Australia. Heather. Amazing, welcome. Thank you. We'd love to start just by having you tell us how and why you became a poet. Gosh, you know, it's hard to say. Um, I've always liked writing. I can remember writing stories when I was in like third grade. I can remember just happily writing stories about bunny rabbits and leprechauns and things like that. Um, when I was in high school, I was writing poetry and I was also doing things like photography because my brother is a photographer. And when he went away to college, he left me as a dark room, mm. um, which I think really affected how I learned to see, which affected how I learned to write. So when I went to college, I, I liked Hemingway and I liked novels and I thought that was the kind of writer I wanted to be but I realized that I just naturally fit better um, with poetry that the the sense of image and um, you know like the the sort of photographic nature mm -hmm. of it um, made more sense to me 
like small things, short forms. And I, that, that was just what I more naturally um, started doing when I was in college. So I didn't know I was a poet. And I think I fought that for a long time, but um, that, that was the kind of writing that came naturally and still comes naturally with, with the way that I think and see. I feel like that description of, like when you would start to talk about photography in the dark room and it affecting the way you see, I immediately thought about some of my favorite poems of yours and how visual they are and how they are almost like looking through a camera and having somebody turn the lens for you until you see something in a new way. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I think that even though I, I can't say I spent a lot of time in museums with my brother, I went to them because I wanted to know what he was up to and how he worked in his form. Mm -hmm. So we, we spent a lot of time when I was younger talking about um, artistic craft. Mm -hmm. And then I started going to museums to understand what he was up to. And then it changed what I was up to too. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Uh, today, we're gonna talk about a particular poem you've brought for us. Um, I believe we're gonna talk about the fable of the sailor and the kraken. Is that mm -hmm. still on for you? Absolutely. Perfect. So I thought we'd start by just having you read it out loud for us once. Sure. The Fable of the Sailor and the Kraken. When the sea cracks open and reveals a terrible funnel of teeth and steam, the sailor lets out a girlish shriek. Tentacles slither this way and that. Teeth gnash air, then anchor chain. The sailor longs for the dusty shade of the orange grove, where, as a boy, he used to swing until his grimy palms blistered against the rope. The longing is so sharp, it's as if he can hear the bees in the fragrant, fragrant white blossoms and feel the dizzy rippling sensation of swinging back and forth through sunlight and shadow. The monster belches like a walrus and bracelets the sailor's wrist. He whispers, come here, sweetheart, and pulls. I was really looking forward to hearing you read that, come here, sweetheart, to see how it sounded. Uh, thank you. We, I'm dying to know the story of this poem. How did you? come to write this poem? Oh, sure. So, you know, I, I live in Little Rock, Arkansas, but um, although I'm landlocked here, I grew up in San Diego. So I'm a Southern Californian at heart and I grew up surfing. So I was often um, in the ocean and around the ocean. And so my imagination is full of marine life um, and sort of marine fantasies um, that, you know, are, are sort of deep-seated in me. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of compelled and delighted and creeped out and terrified 
of, <laughs> of sharks and the idea of sea monsters. I mean, you know, Krakens yeah. um, are from mythology, but in my mind, they are um, much more fascinating than say aliens. Mm -hmm. um, because I think I've spent so much time underwater. So it's easy for me to imagine them yeah. there uh, coming to the surface. But I also teach mythology at the university here. And so I spend a lot of time talking about the human story and what we have to learn from mythology. And for instance, um, you know, monsters and other creatures that appear in, in mythology. And so, so uh, for me, it seemed very natural to sort of begin obsessing about something like a Kraken and wanting to write about it. Ah, I like that. I feel the same way about the difference between being afraid of or whatever and amazed by and interested in underwater versus outer space. Yeah. Also growing up near an ocean. Um, having heard that, uh, we would love to just hear you read the poem again with that in mind. Sure. The fable of the sailor and the kraken. When the sea cracks open and reveals a terrible funnel of teeth and steam, the sailor lets out a girlish shriek. Tentacles slither this way and that. Teeth gnash air, then anchor chain. The sailor longs for the dusty shade of the orange grove where, as a boy, he used to swing until his grimy palms blistered against the rope. The longing is so sharp. It's as if he can hear the bees in the fragrant white blossoms and feel the dizzy rippling sensation of swinging back and forth through sunlight and shadow. The monster belches like a walrus and bracelets the sailor's wrist. He whispers, come here, sweetheart, and pulls. <laughs> uh, I, um, the juxtaposition of that, of what the sailor remembers and longs for in this moment uh, is with all the, the imagery of the sea or the imagining of the sea is a really lovely contrast. And um, I'd, I'd love to hear some of you read multiple times and just noticing what I notice. And I would tell you that's a lot about the sounds of the language as you say them out loud, which I know is what we're gonna talk about next. So rather than interrupting what you're gonna say, I'd love to ask you, you know, uh, what can we pay attention to about how you crafted this poem? Another way to ask that question might be, what might a new poet learn from the way this poem's put together? Or what would you want us to know about how you worked on it? Yeah, um, so a lot, of, a lot of new poets, um, they think poetry has to have overt end rhyme and that that's what makes a poem. And if it doesn't have overt end rhyme, um, you know, where, where the end of each line rhymes with the end of the next line, then they think it doesn't have rhyme. And so what I really like to talk about with things like prose poetry is that they're tricky 
And um, we might think of a lineated poem as having like an exoskeleton mm. where you can see the structure at a glance. But something like a prose poem, it looks like a paragraph and it has what I think of as an endoskeleton. So the shape and the structure of it is, is hidden beneath the skin of the poem. Mm. And um, Jane Ann Phillips, who is I think best known for her fiction and her short fiction, um, she started as a poet. And so she, she was kind of a, a poet at heart who, um, and if I'm remembering right, it's when she had children and ran out of time to do things like write novels. <laughs> she started writing um, or, you know, bigger projects. Right, yeah. Um, she started writing these sort of short stories. And what she says is the poem in Broken Lines announces itself as a poem, but the paragraph seems innocent, workaday, invisible. And I, I love that. Yeah, I love of, that. Of the, the workaday paragraph. Right. But what I like, if you, if you look at the sounds that happen in this poem, is that um, there is rhyme happening and it's, it's all sort of, I, I think of it as sort of overlapping layers of repetition to create a sense of cohesiveness. So to me, it's like the sounds um, create a cascade effect like if you're listening to a waterfall, there's lots of different sounds happening simultaneously, but together they create a fluidity. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have W sounds, but not just one kind of W sound, like it's, a, it's okay to like, you know, have a variety and you can, you can smatter it around. It doesn't have to be rigidly in the same place every time. There's S sounds, there's sh, you know, so there's different kinds of S sounds that are happening. Mm -hmm. There's T sounds um, and then B sounds. And so in this way, um, I mean, if we want to get technical, it's consonants. Consonants mm -hmm. is the repetition of stressed consonant consonants where the vowels can vary, but the consonants repeat. And if it's at, if the consonants is at the beginning of the words, then it's alliteration, which most people know. But in this case, it's, it's in both places. It's at the beginning of the word, it's in the middle of the word, it's at the end of the word. And so if you play with these, it's a way of um, adding layers of sound. So see, steam, shriek, slither, sailor, gnash, sharp, sensation, swinging, shadow, bracelets, whispers, sweetheart. Um, and so they, they all start to um, blend, I think, is the way I would talk about it. But it it's fun because it's not as neurotic as a sonnet. <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to, you don't have to be really rigid with yourself. You can see what sounds naturally start to come to you as you are thinking about it. 
And then you can deliberately go in and, and uh, bring that pattern more to the surface. And, and then, you know, if you want to say, uh, let go of the sound and then focus on another sound, you can do that too. Right. Uh, this is, um, as I was listening to you read the second time, especially there were these moments like the girlish shriek and um, the also some assonance, the longing is so sharp, both the S sounds and then the O and A sounds are like really amazing. Then when you start talking about the consonants and you just made the sounds of the consonants, I thought, oh, it sounds like the wind when she does that. But then as you were um, sort of pulling them out too, I was like, oh, or it sounds like the ocean. Yeah. So it, um, it really is not just that it's there, but that it uh, like undergirds this, like adds an oral sense to the images that are so strong in the poem. Yeah, it helps, it helps evoke the atmosphere that you're trying to create. If you, if you find the right sounds like that, that can definitely add that. Yeah. And so this one I think is sort of fun because um, you want that because otherwise like the monster is silent, right? Right. And so that's one way that you can hear the monster talk back. Yeah. A little bit. Oh my goodness. All right. Uh, let's hear you read the poem one more time, if you don't mind, now that we've got our ears attuned to these sounds. Sure. So before I read it one more time, the other thing I was going to say. Is, oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, I, I was just going to say that, like, uh, talking about the monster speaking here, um, one of the things that happens when you're working with really compressed forms like a prose poem or a flash fiction piece, I mean, this is six sentences long, so you don't have a lot of room to play around with building, you know, traditional narratives, for instance, or even long sequences of action. And normally with this sort of thing, I would say you have room for like one piece of dialogue Mm -hmm. and then that's it and so in that case knowing that it's not going to be conversation driven then you have to think about other ways to drive the story forward and one of them is you know the the sensory details like the sound of the wind and and the water and um the monster but more importantly, like in this case, I think it's like this, the terrible silence of the monster that you know is there, you know, kind of like Jaws or something. Right. So, okay, so uh, to read it again. The fable of the sailor and the kraken. When the sea cracks open and reveals a terrible funnel of teeth and steam, the sailor lets out a girlish shriek. Tentacles slither this way and that. Teeth gnash air, then anchor chain. The sailor longs for the dusty shade of the orange grove where, as a boy, he used to swing until his grimy palms blistered against the rope. The longing is so sharp it's as if he can hear the bees in the fragrant white blossoms, 
and feel the dizzy rippling sensation of swinging back and forth through sunlight and shadow. The monster belches like a walrus and bracelets the sailor's wrist. He whispers, come here, sweetheart, and pulls. <laughs> ah, I'm so glad you held me back and said a few more words. So now I'm like all focused on this monster and I think I'd read over a number of times the terrible funnel of teeth and steam, which is like really probably going to give me nightmares now tonight. <laughs> and then to go from that to like the bees and the fragrant, fragrant blossoms, again, the juxtaposition of these different oral images that I didn't even notice. And then, and then the belching and that horrible bit of dialogue. Fantastic, Heather. <laughs> Rewards all the readings. Um, thanks so much for coming on today. I know um, I asked you if you would also bring some sort of writing provocation. So I'm going to ask if you might share that with us before we say goodbye. Sure. And maybe, by the way, I frame this writing exercise for you. It will diffuse the nightmares. Okay. <laughs> um, because the way that I see it is um, funnier than that. Yeah. Well, I did too, because you actually sent me three. So I know you have more than one and they were funny, but the more I read it, the more I could really, it really kind of brought that crack into life for me. But go ahead, tell me. Well, you know, the way that I've been thinking about all of these, because um, I, I have a series of poems that I've been working on that are encounters with mythological creatures. And in my mind, it has become, um, I, I didn't realize this when I started, but I've begun to realize that it's uh, sort of a metaphor for the midlife crisis. Oh. And I mean that generally like the crisis of midlife. Yes. Um, and so I had been thinking about how there weren't enough stories in my mind that helped us like navigate, you know, being middle-aged. Mm -hmm. And as I was working on these, I was like, oh, so these are about encounters with the unknown and the scary unknown mm -hmm. and what it brings out in you. And so in this moment, I think the sailor is, um, you know, I, I try and save him a little bit by the end. Like at first, you know, he shrieks like a girl. Oh. <laughs> he starts to imagine like, wanting to go home to where he was safe and comfortable as a boy. Um, and then he, he turns around and like finds this sort of audaciousness yeah. in the face of it. So that leads me to the prompt, which is, um, you know, this idea that myths about monsters like the Kraken in this poem are usually about encounters with the unknown. They embodied the mysteries of the world. Yet the encounter often lets us glimpse undiscovered things about the, the hero or the protagonist or ourselves too. And so what I was thinking was that people might enjoy also writing alongside me about a mysterious encounter with any sort of outlandish creature that you wish. And then see if something happens in that moment that might unearth a new mystery 
that is about what it means to be human. And you don't have to feel like you have to explain. The mystery can stay a mystery. Um, like in this case, I, I think the Kraken probably has to just go back underwater and disappear forever. Hopefully he doesn't eat the sailor. Right? <laughs> um, but there's a way in which um, the thing that's fun about these compressed forms is that you can, you can imagine these encounters, but you don't have to follow the story to some definite end. And so the mystery can remain the story. It can remain at the heart of the story without needing to like, you know, solve it in any way. I'm gonna put this on auto replay, Heather, into this middle of my life. I think this would be very helpful to me. I'd be able to find myself writing a lot of mystery stories about. Yes, so we all need encounters. To, we all need to next write, you know, prose poems about Bigfoot and I don't, I don't know, aliens, I, I guess. I loved Bigfoot when you know I was a child of the '70s, so Bigfoot was really had a kind of moment when in, during my childhood. So maybe yeah. that's where I'll go. Yes, absolutely. Heather, thank you. This has been a delight as I knew it would be um, even more delightful than I could imagine it without you here. So uh, we really appreciate you sharing your craft and your poetry with us. Thank and, you for having me. Um, it's, it's a I don't know what else to say. It's delightful. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to see you. And it's also my job to thank our listeners and uh, webinar viewers. We love that you've joined us here. Um, if you are unfamiliar with the Writing Project, we would encourage you to go to the National Writing Project's website, nwp.org, and sign up for our newsletter so that you learn about exciting things that happen in our community, like this conversation with Heather H.K. Hummel. Thanks, Heather. Happy writing, everyone. Listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.